Sometimes crises like that can expose the fact that we haven't really been thinking well about these things. We haven't been thinking about things at a fundamental biblical or theological level. And then when we find ourselves in some of these these really difficult circumstances, we don't have a lot of resources to draw on. And I think it's, it's, it's a reminder that we need to be thinking seriously about this all the time. Hello and welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. My name is Adrian Reynolds. I'm the head of national ministries for the FIEC. And today I've got a long distance caller on the line, Dave Van Drunen. Dave, thanks so much for joining us all the way from California. Um, it's raining here. I'm guessing it's not raining there. Uh, the sun is shining here early in the morning in California, as it usually does. Yes. Yeah, that's that's just what we want to hear. Thankfully, we Brits, we're immune to sun jealousy because we see so little of the sun. So that has no impact on us whatsoever. Uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you're doing over there in California, just so you can kind of fill us in a little bit. Sure. Uh, I am a professor of systematic theology and Christian ethics at Westminster Seminary, California. Uh, We are in the San Diego area, so at the very south end of California. Uh, I've been serving here. uh, We're just starting our new school year, uh, and this will be my 23rd year teaching. Uh, We are an independent seminary. In other words, we're we're not run by any particular church, but we serve a variety of churches, mostly uh, of a confessional reformed or Presbyterian uh, conviction. Uh, I'm a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, so I was uh, I, I served a brief pastoral ministry before uh, coming out to Westminster, California, and I try to continue to serve the church in a variety of ways. So uh, I'm married, have a 25-year-old son, and um, uh, I don't know if you want any more details, but that's a pretty brief... Well, that's enough. To, to sorry, but, uh, we just need enough to, to be able to steal your identity online. That's the main thing. So you can uh, if yeah, just tell us your date of birth and your, um, your national insurance number will be fine. Uh, Dave, right. thanks so much for joining us. We, we want to talk about a particular subject today. I know you you read and you write very widely, but one of the particular things you write about is that really the relationship that the church has to the world that we live in. Um, we, we know we're in the church. We love the local church, don't we? Uh, you and I might have slightly different ecclesiologies, but we love the local church. We love what God is doing in the local church. We, we're so pleased to be part of the local church and so the local church. And yet we live in the world which is a, a huge, complicated place. And, and I think one of the great challenges for me as, a, as an elder in a church, serving in a church, is helping people think, how do we live in the world, right? That, that's that's got to be one of the big challenges for Christian life. Just ha- actually, what do I do on Monday? How do I live on Monday? Um, and actually, I, I think perhaps you and I, and I guess many listeners who are serving in Christian ministry, we're, we're in some way immune from this. Not, obviously not entirely, but there is a, you know, we, we live a slightly rarefied life, I guess you might say. Whereas most people in church, this is this is a, a daily struggle, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think that there are sort of two aspects, two, two, two big aspects of this. And I think you touch on both of them. I mean, one is the relation of the church itself to the broader world. And I think the church has some some big issues that it needs to wrestle with. Uh, 
the church lives in this broader society in which you have these these big moral it, uh, controversies, political controversies, and I think the church struggles, and especially those who are preaching and teaching in the church. You know how to what degree do we address these issues? Should we address these issues? Uh, and then there's on, on, on the more individual level, as you were saying, as most Christians spend most of their time out in out in a secular workplace or in uh, their neighborhoods, their schools, uh, interacting with people from a wide variety of religious and other philosophical convictions. And on the one hand, we're called, we know we're called uh, by Paul to live at peace with all people as far as we can. We're called to love all of our neighbors, not just those that we agree with on important issues. At the same time, we are we're trying to, with the Spirit's help, to uh, our, our, our minds being transformed, uh, trying to take every thought captive for Christ. And so uh, it raises some very difficult questions about how we can be faithful uh, to a variety of commitments that we have as we live in a very, a very complicated and often confusing world. Yeah. And, and I, I think one of the challenges for us as leaders is, it, is it's more complicated and more confusing than perhaps it, it has been in the past in the sense that we hear so many different voices. And, and I think in the West, we've been blessed by living in a, a, a Christianized version of society where perhaps um, there weren't quite some of the moral ambiguities that there seem to be now. And actually knowing how to address those is, is, is really fundamental to the work of pastoring, isn't it? I think so. And you're right, I think, that it, it it's it's more confusing and more complicated than it used to be. I mean, both the UK and the US are very diverse societies and they're just uh we we have to minister in the midst of this in ways that I don't think previous generations of pastors and teachers uh had to. And so uh I think we can see in a lot of our churches, uh, we we see divisions even within our churches on the kind of posture that we should take toward the, the broader world and to what degree we are supposed to be confrontational with the broader world, to what degree we are supposed to be seeking peace with the, with the broader world. And uh, I, I know just from talking with so many, so many people in the churches. I mean, both here where I live and around the world. That I mean, these are these are some of the issues that people wrestle with most. And I guess as church leaders, when we see that that sort of complexity, it, it's quite tempting just to steer steer away from it, isn't it? You take the take the path of least resistance. That there may be one or two, let's say, touchstone moral issues in society in the world at large, which we feel we can be clear on. But actually beyond that, it, it seems we're getting into why oh, there could be this nuance and that nuance. So the safest bet is just to, to say to say nothing. And I, I think we can end up being quite anodyne as preachers for that reason. Yeah, I think I, I think that's right. And th there are times when I think our, our, our hands are forced. I mean, I think that was true in the U.S. with the, the whole covid Crisis, and we had all these controversies with that, with with our, our churches about lockdowns and masks and vaccines, sure. and uh, to what degree we're obligated to be submissive to the civil magistrate uh, on these things. And I think if uh, sometimes crises like that 
can expose the fact that we haven't really been thinking well about these things. We haven't been thinking about things at a fundamental biblical or theological level. And then when we find ourselves in some of these these really difficult circumstances, we don't have a lot of resources to draw on. And I think it's, it's, it's a reminder that we need to be thinking seriously about this all the time and uh, not just conveniently ignoring them uh, in order to sort of yeah. just yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of avoid trouble or controversy. We, we, we can so easily, can't we, pastor by gut instinct. Um, you, know, you, you hear about a situation or a circumstance and you think, well, I know how to respond to that. And your immediate response is very often the right one because we are, you know, we read scripture, we, we imbibe it, we're deeply, um, you know, committed to it. Um, but actually having a, having a good framework, I guess you could call it a worldview, really, but, but having a good framework really is essential for us as leaders, isn't it? And does, does yeah. it therefore need to be really complicated? I think, I think what I'm nervous about is, is us as, as leaders hearing, you know, here, here's another discipline you've got to get on top of. But, you know, you're having enough trouble keeping a Greek going uh, every day and, you know, wrestling with your sermon. Here's another discipline that you've got to read around and, and know about. Is it like that or, or is it simpler for us? Well, I think I would like to make the case that it can be simpler. Uh, on the one hand, uh, I, I think when we face very concrete issues, of course, we're going to have to do some hard thinking and there might be some complications that we need to work through. But it seems to me that the sort of basic theological framework that scripture gives us for thinking about this is not that complicated. And I also think that the framework that scripture gives us can actually make other things less complicated because I think it it especially for pastors uh, or teachers in the church, I think it actually liberates uh, pastors and teachers in the church from trying to be experts in everything. Uh, because I think the biblical framework uh, discourages the church from trying to micromanage the, the views of Christians on every single issue. Uh, I don't think the church has to give the church a detailed public policy that it needs to try to promote in politics, uh, for example. And so I think if we take the time and actually uh, understand the biblical theological framework, it actually can be quite liberating for, for, for pastors, especially to say, look, uh, it's, it's a big enough task to be a teacher of the scriptures and to care for the for the souls of, of your people. You don't have to be an expert on economic policy. You don't have to be an expert on climate change policy or whatever uh, uh, pandemic policy uh, in order to be a faithful pastor. So I think because I think sometimes because we don't have a good theological framework, uh, we can succumb to pressure to think that we have to be experts in all sorts of other things that actually can distract the church and distract yeah. pastors from what really is their primary goal. That's a really helpful insight. So we're not adding something extra. We're saying actually that all these things that you find overwhelming in ministry, having to have a view on this, having to have a view on that, if you if you had a more robust view of, of the scriptures and what they teach about how we engage with the world, then actually some of those other issues that you feel you have to be expert on um, would kind of, they wouldn't go away. They'd just fall into place. They'd get, they'd have their rightful place, wouldn't they, in the church? 
I think that's right. Yeah. Let's let's put it on. We're going to run out of time otherwise, Dave. Um, I, I could talk to you forever, I think, about this. But let's just ask you about um, your own writing and some of the things you've been writing about. And um, so the FIC, as many people um, will know, quite a broad range of churches. And um, some people have come across your writing, some have won't. And I guess you've written at different levels as well. I've been writing, uh, reading, reading, not writing. I've been reading your book, Living in God's Two Kingdoms, which kind of out outlines a particular worldview, particular way that you think the church um, relates to the world. Just give us a, a, a broad brush outline. Um, we'll, we'll make the book available. We'll talk about it in the show notes. But but a broad brush outline of, of the position that you're kind of um, you're, you're coming from. Yes, uh, I am picking up this idea of the two kingdoms doctrine, which was quite a common idea uh, in the Reformation and post-Reformation era. And the, the really basic idea is that God, of course, is the Lord of all things. Uh, he's the sovereign over all creation, but it is helpful. Yeah, we all agree on that, right? We all agree on that. I, I, I hope we all agree on that. Uh, and... And yet there is this basic kind of twofold distinction in the way that God carries out his rule in this world. Uh, on the one hand, as the creator and sustainer of all things, uh, he has uh, he's he's put this world in place. He's established the you know sort of the we might think of the the, the cosmic order with its regular patterns. Uh, he has. Uh, created human society and he sustains human society in its basic institutions like uh, the family and uh, the political community. Uh, and through his common grace, God is sustaining uh, this world and continues to give many good things to this world despite uh, the ravages of sin. On the other hand, uh, God is also, of course, uh, the redeemer of his people through Christ, and he's enacted his plan of salvation. He's established his covenant people. Uh, now, in these last days, he's established his, his New Testament church, which is to go out through all the world and proclaim the gospel and gather uh, the saints and prepare them for everlasting life. And that uh, while while these two reigns of God, we might say, these two rules of God, this we might say a preservative rule of God and this redemptive rule of God, they're not they're not absolutely separate. Of course, uh, in they uh, it, it's only because of God's preservative rule uh, that there's a human race that exists for the gospel to reach. Uh, and so there's. Uh, in God's master plan for this world, there's certainly a connection between these two rules or these two kingdoms. And yet, as we think about uh, as we think about this world, as we think about our our place within it, we recognize that uh, the church, for example, is not uh, the same as the civil government, or uh, it's not the same as running a business. Uh, and we as Christians have some different responsibilities uh, in our uh, life in the church in distinction from the way uh, we interact with the broader world uh, in our uh, political, uh, educational, economic uh, institutions. Another way that I might put it, uh, I'm sorry if this is too long of an answer, but I, I, That's I, find, I, that another, I find that Another angle uh, that is helpful for thinking about this, sort of a complementary perspective, is to pick up on this biblical theme of uh, 
being a sojourner and an exile. So, for example, in 1 Peter 2, 11, uh, Peter uses both of those images, and they're both drawn from the Old Testament, of course. Uh, Abraham was a sojourner. Uh, he, he didn't have a permanent home. Uh, he was he he was he was on the move. And uh, of course, the Babylonian exile, uh, the Israelites were banished from their homeland. They were they were living in a foreign land. And the New Testament picks up on this in order to help us as new covenant Christians to, to understand our, our, our place in the world. Uh, we are uh, we are citizens of heaven. And that means in this world, even if we've lived in the same home for decades, uh, we are ultimately sojourners and exiles in this world. And if you're a sojourner or an exile, it doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't be involved in the society in which you live. Uh, we know that Abraham was involved in the communities in which he lived. Uh, we know that Daniel, for example, uh, was very involved in the Babylonian society in which he lived. But uh, so I think this gives a very, it, it, it doesn't answer every question, of course, but I think it gives us uh, a very helpful paradigm for thinking about our place in this world. Uh, as sojourners and exiles in this world, we can be involved uh, in our communities. We should be involved in our communities and to try to promote their well-being. At the same time, we remember that our ultimate allegiance is not to the United States or the United Kingdom or to any earthly institution. Our ultimate allegiance is to the new creation, to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it seems to me that uh, if th these ideas like the two kingdoms or being sojourners and, and exiles provides a really helpful foundation for trying to work out some of the details of how we approach life in this world. How, how do we, Dave, I, I, I take that on board, but how, how do we avoid recreating that kind of pre-Reformation sacred secular split because i i guess you know in ex, in extremis um all, all positions that have the potential to be dangerous don't they but but how do we avoid saying for example and i realize this is a caricature so forgive the caricature but how do we avoid saying well you know the work you do for the kingdom is is going to last it is it, it's redemptive so um everyone should be in ministry don't bother um you know anything about anything else on a monday morning let the world worry about that i guess you were describing how the two kingdoms it's like a venn diagram isn't there's this overlap in the middle because we sit in we sit in both and what we're arguing for is what the size of the overlap is i guess but but, but how do we make a case for serving in the world as being valuable when when we're talking about one kingdom lasting one not and and that that sort of language that just, that just strikes me as being you know oh hang on I want to help people get up on the Monday morning. Right. Yes, uh, I, I would say uh, before I try to answer that question directly, I might say that it, it seems to me that this uh, this view that I have defended, uh, it helps us avoid what I see as sort of two perennial Christian temptations on, on either side. So I think on the one side, you have a kind of Christian triumphalism where there's this basically this emphasis on, you know, we Christians ought to take over this world. We ought to be in charge of everything. We ought to Christianize everything, whatever exactly that means. And then I think on the other hand, you have this sort of quietism or kind of uh, 
retreatism, where basically the Christian community tries to make itself as insulated and independent as possible and sort of looks at all uh, involvement in this world as something to minimize, to avoid as much as possible because you don't want to be tainted by that. And uh, it seems to me that something like the Two Kingdoms Doctrine, and by the way, I mean, I don't really care if people call it the Two Kingdoms Doctrine. You can call it whatever you want as far as I'm concerned. It's really the the substance of it that 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 matters. It seems to me that this gets at um, what you might say are the strengths of or the insights of both of those extreme positions while avoiding their dangers. And that I I think what the kind of triumphalist um, mentality gets right uh, is the fact that uh, God has made this whole world. And uh, we as, you know, we as Christians, we're still human beings. We're still living in this world. And it's good for us to be involved in a variety of institutions and activities. We don't all have to be involved in all of them. We, we, I mean, we, we can't, but it's good for Christians generally to be active uh, in this world. At the same time, also, I think remembering the, the, that insight of that kind of quietism, uh, extreme position, which, which is a strong sense that, um, we are to be heavenly minded uh, and that we have been called not to unending life in this present world as we know it, but to this new creation where Christ already reigns and that we are looking forward uh, to as our as our everlasting home. And I think both of those things are true. And it seems to me that answering your question uh, requires us to keep both of those things in mind, our our responsibilities in this broader world at the same time not uh and uh, this a, a sort of obsession or over attachment to the passing institutions of uh this world and so uh i would certainly not try to motivate people to get up in the morning to do their ordinary work by saying well certainly not by saying this is the way of salvation, right? You, you've got to do this work well in order to save. Okay, we can we can lay that uh, aside. I, I would also not want to go the route that that some Christians do by saying, "Well, it's you know, if you do your work well, you're sort of uh, you're you're building the stuff that's going to last forever. Uh, the stuff you're going to uh, if you can kind of transform this or that in this world, we're going to be able to enjoy it." in the age to come. I, I just don't think scripture gives us those sorts of concrete uh, promises. I think that the, the sorts of things that I would, uh, and that I do try to use to help give people this motivation to be involved in this broader world is to say, for one thing, I mean, we are called uh, to love our neighbors. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a high uh, and, calling, right? I mean, you know, the two, if the two greatest very, commandments are to love God and love our neighbor, then to say to people, love your neighbor is, is no small thing. That's, that's a high calling from God himself. That's right. And so I, 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 I hope that people can see when they get up to do their work as whatever, as engineers, as farmers, as shopkeepers, you're a nation of shopkeepers, right? Uh, isn't that what um, apparently is? <laughs> All our shops uh, seem that, to be shut these days, but yeah, apparently. Well, we, uh, we are serving and uh, loving our neighbor. Uh, 
I also would say, and uh, I think Martin Luther had a great uh, way of putting it. Uh, you know, he said, uh, it, it's ultimately God who feeds people. Uh, it's God who clothes people. It's God who heals people. Yeah. But ordinarily, yeah. God uses farmers and bakers to feed people. And he uses tailors and So we're and partnering leaders. him in some sense. We're yeah. partnering with yeah. him in that and, work. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're, we're, we're the hands and feet of God. And I think that's a great way to think about our, our, our ordinary work. Um, it's not preaching the gospel, but it's, uh, we, I mean, God is, we are God's instruments to care for his, uh, uh, for his people, for his uh, broader creation. And I think there's also, if I could just uh, maybe mention uh, one last thing, you know, there, there, there's this theme that runs through Ecclesiastes uh, that um, good work is sort of its own reward. I, I, I would say that we as human beings, we are created to be workers. I mean, not that's not all we're created to be, but we are created to, uh, to be workers. And that uh, when we do our work well, uh, when when we work hard and the and by the Lord's blessing, we are able to do that work well. There is a kind of a blessing that comes with that, and I think we need to pray to the Lord that He would give us a sort of satisfaction uh, in doing even modest, menial, um, ordinary work well. And sure. uh, there's yeah. there's nothing uh, you know we don't have to say. Well, because I didn't convert this many number of people today, that somehow my day was a failure. No, I was. No. And in that sense, it's all holy to the Lord. That's right. Yeah. Um, one of the things you mentioned in the book, which um, I thought was just interesting to explore a little bit more, Dave, is that is that it, it's good for the church to be critically engaged with the world. We, sh we shouldn't be uncritical. Um, but then you you um, you say in a slightly throwaway phrase, um, that's no easy task, which I'm saying, amen, that's no, <laughs> that's no easy task. Just help us think a little bit, because actually this is coming up all the time. You know, I, I barely a week goes by in church when someone says to me, oh, you must sign this petition. Or the church must be doing something about this or speaking about this. So, so there, there is a place, isn't there, for critical engagement? But I think you're also right. It's not an easy task. So, so how does how does the doctrine of two kingdoms help us make those kind of judgments? Yeah, I would uh, I would say that the the doctrine of the two kingdoms helps us understand that uh, the church really does have a distinctive calling in this world. It's not the same calling as the company you work for or our political government. And if you want to say, you know, what is the task of the church? I think you would have to say, well, it is first and foremost, it is to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And by that, we mean, I'd say we as I think Protestant, evangelical, reformed Christians, however we identify ourselves, that is ministering everything that is in the scriptures. And I think that's what that's what we need to do. And there are a lot of issues when it comes down to particulars that just it just goes beyond the scriptures to say, thus says the Lord. Uh, there are a lot of issues that may touch on things that we are proclaiming in the scriptures, but we can't always micromanage all of the details of, uh, of that. And I think we need, on the one hand, I would say, we need to be careful as a church trying to meddle in all sorts of business that really is not ours to try to resolve. 
Uh, I think we who are church leaders who are thinking about, you know, what do we preach on Sunday? Uh, what do we teach in our classrooms to say, well, uh, a lot of uh, our the people in our churches, they're going to go out. I mean, they're involved in these different areas of life, and we, we want them to exercise good wisdom, good judgment as they go out and try to kind of put flesh on the teaching of scripture that we are giving them. And so I think, you know, for the most part, we as a church, we're, we're, we're trying to equip our people with biblical wisdom uh, so that they can go out into their workplaces, uh, into political engagement, and to make good concrete decisions and promote good causes. And, uh, and I think for the church, not to think that we, we need to micromanage everything that our, our people are doing. I think we need to encourage them to be wise, godly participants in their society. So and there's a the distinction time, there between, sorry for interrupting, there's a distinction there between what the church does and what Christians do. And, yes. And, uh, and the crossover is the church equipping Christians to do what they are called to do, if I've understood that right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that I, it, it probably would have been easier if I had just said that uh, rather than all that I was just saying. <laughs> that's why I'm yeah, here. I, yeah, that's right. It's, um, it seems to me that that's it, it seems like a, a pretty basic, simple distinction to me. But I know that it, it's not something that a lot of it's, it, it's not the way that a lot of Christians think. And so it 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 does seem to me that the two kingdoms is not the only way to think about that. But it it, it does provide a helpful way of saying you know, what the church itself is called to do is not identical with what individual Christians are called to do as they go out into this world. Right. And so right. if so we I, can keep that distinction. When I preach on Sunday morning, I'm not just preaching for a decision. I'm, I'm not just trying, you know, that I'm not just saying to myself, right, the work of the church is to preach the gospel. So I'm just going to I'm going to do my my best Billy Graham impression every Sunday morning. I'm going to hope people become Christians. My job as a preacher is to serve the saints as well and to, to help them know what the scriptures say about how to live for Christ without going beyond that, if you like, to, to say, and that means you must do this, you must do that. Right. Uh, I, I think there's a certain level of trust that we who are pastors need to have in, in our people. I mean, we know they're sinners, but at the same time, um, it, and perhaps it, it's, 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 it's not so much a trust in them as it is a trust in the Holy Spirit that the spirit will sure. apply the word that we are, as we are just being faithful to preaching the word of God, that we trust that the spirit will be applying that and building that in the hearts of our people as they go out uh, and uh, try to be wise, godly people in the various places uh, that. Uh, and, and, that I mean, we haven't got time to there. talk about this um, in any great depth, but presumably there's a, there's a great need for us to, to regain confidence in in the in the conscience, isn't there? In the Christian conscience of the new man, we don't talk about conscience much any anymore. But it seems to me that's all connected, isn't it? In terms of how someone lives in the world, um, actually, that they they need to not go against their conscience. We want their conscience to be informed and to, um, for the Holy Spirit to be working upon them. But actually, we do need to allow room for the for the Christian conscience, don't we? I think that's right. Uh, you know, it, it's not our job as the church to be trying to dictate every conscientious 
decision. Uh, it's uh, historically in Christian moral theology, conscience and wisdom or prudence are very closely connected. And I and and, and that gets back to some of the uh, earlier comments I was making is that. I think we are, uh, we as the church, we as pastors, we're trying to build godly wisdom uh, in our people. And those who have godly wisdom, uh, sort of by definition, are those who have a kind of mature conscience and are able to make those kind of judgments mm. yeah. Yeah. in, you know, in the trenches of life. Yeah. Um, one one last comment, Dave. Just just to be clear, uh, because people might some people might think we're sounding like raving liberals here. We're, we're saying that where the Bible is clear about something, there is no room for disagree. You know, the, the things that the Bible is clear about, let's be absolutely clear about. Yeah. We're, we're not compromising on that, are we? That's right. And so, it, on the one hand, uh, we don't want to. We don't want to preach more than the scriptures say. At least that that would be my conviction. Uh, I have no authority as a preacher to preach beyond what the scriptures say. At the same time, I may not preach less than the scriptures say either. That's helpful. And so just because, you know, if you have an issue like abortion or an issue like uh, the nature of marriage, uh, that becomes a political issue. It doesn't mean I stop talking about it because, well, this is now controversial and we need to make judgment calls. No, I mean, we... We need to preach all of the scriptures and only the scriptures. And yep. uh, it, we definitely need to resist the temptation to tip on one side or the other. Dave, thank you so much for your time and wisdom. And I hope we've got uh, listeners just thinking a little bit more about this. Um, they can go away and read Living in God's Two Kingdoms. Um, uh, they can read other things too, I'm sure. Um, but it's really important, isn't it, for leaders to be grappling with this and helping their churches. You've been a great help to us, Dave. Thanks so much. Bless you. You've got up very early to talk to us. Um, we're all so grateful for that. And um, if it was you nice to talk enjoyed, to you. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed uh, the podcast, please do rate and review. It just helps us and it helps people find us. And um, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you.